This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. We begin today's forum with a morning keynote, with morning keynote addresses by U.S. Ambassador Michael Fitzpatrick uh, and Ecuador Ambassador to the United States, Yvonne Baki. Chairing our first session is Ambassador Tom Shannon, who is the former U.S. Undersecretary for Political Affairs, the third highest ranking position at the State Department. Tom is also a board member of the Institute of the Americas. At this time, it brings me great pleasure to um, introduce Tom, who will um, start the session. Tom, take it away. Thank you very much, Richard, and thank you to the Institute and for its sponsors for hosting this important event. We're very excited to have with us Ambassador Yvonne Baki and Ambassador Michael Fitzpatrick, respectively coming to us from Washington, D.C. and Quito, Ecuador, uh, to begin this conversation about Ecuador and the United States and how you build back better in the aftermath of COVID-19. Uh, in Yvonne Baki and Michael Fitzpatrick, we have two extraordinary diplomats who are going to be able to talk about one of the most dynamic and important relationships that the United States has today in South America, and one which has extraordinary potential and future if both governments can find a way to continue to develop and drive forward a bilateral relationship which stretches across nearly all aspects of our national interest. Ecuador, as many of you know, as a country stretches from the Eastern Pacific into the Amazon and includes not only geographic diversity, but ethnic and racial diversity, linguistic diversity, but also a remarkable set of issues that will be attractive, I think, to not only American businesses, but American tourists and others who are interested in finding a way to better connect the United States with its brothers and sisters throughout our hemisphere. Uh, I will introduce each ambassador uh, as she and he speak. I'll start with Ambassador Yvonne Baki. I am lucky to call her a friend and a colleague. I've worked with her across several administrations. She's an extraordinary public servant of Ecuador, but she is also a renowned artist and painter and author, and someone who has established a place for herself not only in the political landscape, but in the cultural landscape of the Americas and the globe. She's someone who has served across several Ecuadorian presidential administrations and several American presidential administrations. And I can think of no one better to discuss Ecuador's interests in the bilateral relationship between the United States than Ambassador Baki. So Madam Ambassador, I turn to you. Thank you, Tom. It is really a great honor for me to participate in this event together with the two of the best U.S. diplomats who know Ecuador better than anyone. On the one hand, we have shared so many conversations with Mike, organized multiple visits of high authorities from both countries, worked tirelessly to bring out projects of mutual interest and reflected on the extraordinary transition experienced by the bilateral relationship in the last years and on how to achieve the definitive consolidation of the ties of friendship and cooperation between our countries. On the other hand, with Tom, we have experienced the bumpy road that suffered the bilateral relation uh, with, during the last 20 years. Since I was in my previous appointment as ambassador of the United States, we witnessed at the beginning of the century a very productive moment of the bilateral relationship with the support received from the United States, 
to weather the great banking and economic crisis that Ecuador experienced, and then to carry on trade negotiations in 2004 and 2005. But unfortunately, these promising steps ended abruptly and were soon overcame, overcome by, by, by progressively degraded scenario in which Ecuador abandoned the commercial negotiations, weakened the cooperation in security, expelled the ambassador of the United States, asked for the closure of the office of USAID in Quito and imposed trade measures that made us return many years back in our commercial relationship. But as we say in Ecuador, destiny can be unpredictable. Tom, you were the first high level American diplomat to visit Ecuador once President Lenín Moreno started his term in office. This visit was truly the first step to open the path to an unprecedented strengthening of a relationship that had greatly presented wrong foreign policy decisions. This is why I have to recognize in both you the symbol of the support that Ecuador has received from the United States during this last period. Thank you very much, dear friends, really. To get to the point of this event, I would like to highlight the extraordinary current moment of the bilateral relationship. Last year, we had already a great amount of achievements beginning with the historical official visit made by President Moreno in February of last year, passing through the crucial bilateral cooperation activated to contain the pandemic of COVID-19, and the joint work that allowed a successful debt renegotiation and to obtain very necessary funds from Ecuador, uh, for Ecuador from the multilateral financial organizations. To end with the inclusion of roses in the GSP, and signing of the protocol on trade rules and transparency. Just to mention a few of the long list of goals achieved during last year. This year, with the inauguration of the administration of President Biden, there were sectors in Ecuador that wanted to see a decrease of the positive dynamics between our countries. But nothing is further than reality. In 2021, this year, very important and unprecedented elements have been added to the bilateral relationship. Just to mention a few, the extension of the visa period for Ecuadorians from five to 10 years, the unanimous approval by the United States Senate of a historical resolution in support of Ecuador and the bilateral relationship, the donation of 2 million vaccines, which were crucial for Ecuador to be able to meet the goal of 9 million vaccines in the first 100 days of government, which we just achieved. It was a historical example of how Ecuador could do it with President Lasso leadership. And it's something that is mentioned all over the world, how extraordinary our work in the vaccine was really. It's an amazing achievement. And also the visit to Ecuador of in the last uh, two months of six of the most relevant US senators. However, we still have several pending issues in the bilateral relationship that are of special importance in order to take advantage of the momentum achieved. The first one is the negotiation of a bilateral trade agreement. We already negotiated a par part of it last year, which came into force a few weeks ago, and we will be negotiating a second part until the end of this year, hopefully. This is to say that until the end of this year, important chapters of a full trade agreement will have already been negotiated. Among those, the labor and environmental parts, which are of special interest for both countries. 
In the last years, Ecuador has taken advantage of all the opportunities available to transmit to the United States authorities at all levels that Ecuador's main objective is to negotiate a full trade agreement with its main international partner. Here, I would like to make a parenthesis to underline that Ecuador and Colombia are the only countries in South America that continue to maintain the United States as their main commercial partner. For the rest of the countries of the sub-region, their main partner is the People's Republic of China. This obviously has an and has and will have not only commercial consequences, but mainly geopolitical effects. Ecuador has done its duties. Since 2016, we have solved multiple commercial problems that were created in previous periods. I want to make it clear that we have not done it because only the United States has requested it, but mainly because we are a responsible international actor who subscribes international commitments to fulfill them. In this context, Ecuador believes that the path to develop this process is open, and we are only waiting already some, for some time signals from the United States. We seek a balanced trade agreement that benefits both parties because we understand that the prosperity of our partners also contributes to our own prosperity. As it has been demonstrated in other cases around the world, the cost of not taking the opportunity when presented can be high. We are aware that Ecuador is not very significant in commercial terms, but accumulates an important capital as a responsible member of the international system. The other great international bet of President Lasso's administration is to multiply the foreign investment in Ecuador. Ecuador is a country that currently has a large number of advantages over its neighbors and other countries. It has a dollarized economy, great geographical advantages, a developed infrastructure, a capable workforce and political stability, among many other things. Although the development of investment does not depend exclusively on the public sector, it is clear that this may enhance the conditions to attract and maintain it. As I said before, Ecuador is an advancing and it's, it's advancing in, it, in its process of transforming its economy in order to facilitate investment and generate employment. However, as long as we don't see sound signals from the United States, such as the start of trade negotiations, we will not be able to complete the scenario to become a star in the investment markets. And finally, other elements must be added within Ecuador's priorities in the bilateral relationship. Ecuador is surrounded by significant security threats, such as organized international crime coming from other countries in the region. The presence of immense international fleets that threaten our fishery and marine resources and the effects of climate change, as well as the threat of contagion from other countries in the region whose citizens are disappointed with democracy. In several of these fields, we have already strengthened the bilateral collaboration and the results have been very positive. A clear example is that last year, a historical record was registered in the seizure of cocaine that was already to be sent to other countries, including the United States, a total of 130 tons that were seized. This makes us believe that we are in the good path, but the resources and incentives that nourish the criminal groups oblige us to, to, lower, to not lower the guard. This is a long-term race where the cooperation of partners like the United States is essential. 
I do not want to be misinterpreted. Ecuador is not here to say that everything depends on the United States and that our position is passive, waiting for the steps taken by our main partner regarding our priorities. On the other, on the contrary, we are a country that has matured politically and that wants to build synergies in order to face the joint challenges in a better way. A solid bilateral relationship not only benefits Ecuador, it also benefits the United States, the region, and the world. Once I have outlined my perspective on the bilateral relationship and summarized the priorities currently advanced by Ecuador, I think it's important to make an analysis of the current moment in the world, and particularly in the region, to highlight the urgency of the actions to be taken in the near future. This because there are some times where I have the impression shared by several public and private instances in my country that Ecuador is more aware of this sense of urgency. As you know, this is the second time that I have the opportunity to serve my country as ambassador of Ecuador to the United States. My first period was from 1998 to 2002 and the current started just February of last year. I can tell you that the situation of the region is not the same this time, both in its political, economic, and social reality, as well as in its, relations, its relationships with, with, uh, with the United States and other international partners. This is something to take into account before the consequences surpass us. For the short time available, I will characterize just the main differences. First, although Latin America has been traditionally a region with high political instability, and with evident economic imbalances, the fall of the Berlin Wall and the lessons of the debt crisis transformed it into a region whose governments and population were gradually gaining confidence in democracy, in responsible fiscal management, and in the ad and the advantages of opening up to the world. This positive development was interrupted in the last decade, which sent as a clear alert that democracy is not meeting the citizens' expectations. This has opened the way to populist regimes, which end up being authoritarian and with pretensions of perpetuating in power. Ecuador was one of them. Second, most of the world lives structural imbalances in its productive and labor markets, which have been worsened by deep technological transformations and more recently by the COVID pandemic. These economic imbalances are assumed by the populations of regions such as Latin America as failures of the traditional political models, which have made them to opt in the polls for simplified and wrong solutions, which end up by worsening living conditions. The case of Venezuela is the most graphic case of this type of situation. Third, the positive dynamic of greater political and economic responsibility has been demonstrated to be one way road in the region. The model inaugurated by Chile since the transition, then followed by Peru and Colombia and other countries is currently in serious danger. The outcome of the political and social instability experienced by Chile is unpredictable. The political instability experienced by Peru in recent years is also of great concern. The elections in Colombia may also mark a change in the political consensus that has enjoyed that country for a long time. 20 years ago, the presence of the People's Republic of China, the Russian Federation, and other extra-regional countries in Latin America was marginal. 
Now they are representing a strong interest in the region, especially in the case of China. All the countries in the region understand that the United States has a substantial interest in maintaining predominant role. And I would say that most of them are willing to collaborate in this objective. But we need to see clearer signals from the United States of the priority that Latin America has in its foreign policy. The triumph of Guillermo Lasso, my president, in the election of April and the actions taken in its first 100 days of government represent clear signs that Ecuador does not want to fall into this authoritarian and populist dynamic. We know firsthand what this type of government mean, means and we do not want to repeat that experience. Ecuador has decided to strengthen its image as a responsible international partner committed to democracy, freedoms, employment, welfare, and the future of its new generations. Ecuador is one of the few countries in the region that is betting on a democratic and liberal re regime and is doing so with ambiguous steps. Although we are open to the world, our main partner continues to be the United States and we want that to remain. However, this does not only depend on Ecuador. We humbly need to see more categorical steps also from the United States that show that being a responsible member of the international system also brings tangible benefits for its citizens. A lot is at stake and it, it is time, of the, it's time of, of the essence. A failure of Ecuadorian government will not only have harmful results on its population, but it will also be a demonstration that responsible policies do not end up generating the necessary international support. This will finally mean an incentive for the authoritarian and populist sectors that are looking for their opportunity to take power and never leave it again. It is not necessary to go very far to find well-known cases of this situation. This is why I would like to end this intervention with a call to the United States political decision makers through you, dear Mike, who has been a privileged witness of this process of decline and renaissance of our bilateral relationships. The window of opportunity to consolidate a democratic and open Ecuador is small. We need a straightforward, sustained and strong support from the United States. The objective in the current world is to multiply the successful examples of transition from authoritarianism to democracy. Ecuador offers an excellent opportunity to do so. Please take advantage of it. Thank you. Thank you very much, Ambassador Baki, for that remarkable intervention. Your clarity, but also your candor is deeply appreciated at this moment. It's now my great pleasure to introduce Ambassador Michael Fitzpatrick, the United States Ambassador to Ecuador. Uh, Mike and I have been colleagues and friends across our entire careers as American diplomats. Uh, he is the most respected, knowledgeable, and senior American diplomat working on South American issues and on Andean issues, and could not be better placed than he is today as U.S. Ambassador to Ecuador. Previously, he served as the Deputy Assistant Secretary of State for South America, in charge of overseeing our diplomacy uh, throughout much of our hemisphere. He's someone whose career has centered on Latin America and whose understanding not only of the politics and diplomacy, but of the culture of the society and the deeper uh, connectivity that exists 
between the region, between South America and the United States of America, but today, especially between Ecuador and the United States of America, makes him uniquely positioned to describe how the United States understands Ecuador, its role in our larger effort to fashion or refashion uh, an approach uh, to diplomacy in our Western hemisphere. And it is with great pleasure and honor that I present Mike Fitzpatrick. Thank you, Tom. Thank you very much for that, uh, that very kind introduction. First, let me just say thank you uh, also to Richard and the Institute of the Americas for this uh, two-day forum. Uh, great lineup of speakers both today and tomorrow. High-level, star-studded lineup from the government of Ecuador uh, both days, which frankly I think should tell all of us here today uh, just how important, it, well, it, just how much it tells us about President Lasso and his administration's desire for engagement and enhanced ties with the United States. And be that academia, be that government relations, private sector relations, all of that and, and more. Um, I also want to say thank you very much to uh, uh, to both Tom and Yvonne, uh, friends and colleagues of longstanding. Uh, I, I will be brief in my remarks, partly because, uh, as Tom said, uh, Yvonne had such a remarkable presentation already. I don't want to repeat what she has said. There's a lot of congru congruity between our, our perspectives at the moment, uh, but I want to leave some more time for Q&A at the end. So let me just kind of jump right into it, Tom, if I may and kind of put my bottom line up front here for, for, uh, for the viewers today. Um, as as uh, Yvonne mentioned, we're just over 100 days into President Lasso's administration. Uh, it's been a remarkable first 100 days. Um, bottom line for me is not only has it been a remarkable first 100 days, but moving forward as President Lasso now looks to expand his aperture, as it were, uh, his focus the first 100 days necessarily was on COVID. Uh, now he's going to be focusing even more on a whole series of other issues, economics, finance, commerce, relations abroad, et cetera. Um, we know in the United States that we have and will have a partner who is strongly committed to this bilateral relationship. And we hope to be able to move forward for the benefit of the American people as well as the people of Ecuador. So that, that's really the key takeaway. Uh, I, let me put it even more succinctly. Ecuador is having a moment. As, uh, as Yvonne mentioned, you know, there have been some ups and downs over the last 20 years, 20 years plus. Ecuador is having a moment now that perhaps is generational. And it is indeed, as uh, she was suggesting, that it is an opportunity that uh, you, we can't let us, can, cannot let it pass us by, neither for Ecuador's sake nor for the United States' sake in, in the region. There's so, so many opportunities here. But let me, let me start with why it matters to us in the United States. Uh, Pure and simple, the United States and Ecuador have a lot of common interests, a lot of shared values, uh, as uh, underscored by some of Yvonne's me messages, um, the context for which is strong mutual support for democratic institutions, the ability to openly express differences of opinion, different viewpoints, the fundamental role of civil society and the private sector, and the value of free and unfettered press. President Lasso, his first act was, in fact, uh, reinforcing uh, free and unfettered press access in Ecuador. He's like, look, I'm president. Take me on. Criticize me. Help me make help me do better by by um, by channeling criticisms, by reflecting what the society wants to hear, needs to say. And he'll take it. He'll take it on. Um, very strong partnership already. We continue to work in a variety of areas uh, to expand and deepen 
the, the relationship, whether it's on security, prosperity, democratic engagement, not only within Ecuador, but frankly, in the region as a whole. That re-engagement with the United States started out under uh, the previous president, Luis Moreno, um, but that set the stage for all that has happened uh, since the inauguration, May 24th, of President Lasso and his team. As I said, Ecuador is having a moment, um, and it's a positive moment that we need to build on. The bad side of it, how we got to this moment, in part, of course, has been COVID. It's, uh, as Richard said at the top, it's affected not only Ecuador, all the countries in the region, and indeed globally, but one of the amazing things that we've seen here in 100 days is the impact that leadership can have on a pandemic. Uh, the urgent needle that needs to be threaded and the key to political governance here, social reopening, economic reactivation, and employment, the key, the urgent needle here is the same as it is elsewhere, COVID-19. President Moreno, uh, President Lasso, excuse me, made it very clear. He's going to have a primary focus initially on COVID, um, needing to get, you know, what was one of the earlier uh, global hotspots last year in, in COVID uh, globally was in Guayaquil, in particular in Ecuador. Uh, some really just tragic, devastating moments here. Uh, Ecuador's coming out of that. The last lockdown here was in, in April. In fact, right before the transition, um, Actually, one of the gifts I would say from President Moreno to President Lasso was ensuring that there was a uh, there was a surge in uh, March and April. They saw it. They, they they very quickly locked it down so that when President Lasso was able to come in, he had um, all the opportunities possible to um, to attack the problem. Within a hundred days, what have they done here? Seventy five percent of the adult population in Ecuador, seventeen million total. 75% of the adult population is now fully vaccinated, two vaccines. The push is now on to fully vaccinate 85% of the national population by the end of the calendar year. That is, as my daughter would say, awesome sauce. It's just amazing. Um, from a very low level, from real challenges here, they, um, they've been able to do remarkable things. Important to note that those U.S. vaccinations of uh, 2 million doses that we provided in July of this year, indeed, I think helped, um, helped Ecuador reach that goal. Um, our, our donations came as, uh, as we like to say, no strings attached. It was a pure and simple donation. We've also provided nearly $60 million in COVID-related assistance to Ecuador since last year. That's including vaccines. PPE, mobile hospitals, ventilators, technical assistance from um, uh, health and human services from CDC and others. We've invested all that in Ecuador, not only because there was the need, but as importantly, because we saw that there was a willing and capable partner who could, who could transform that investment into real concrete results. And we've seen the, the proof is in the pudding. As I said, we've seen it in less than 100 days here. And so, so now President Lasso is, even as he has now built up even more political capital, he's riding high in the political in the popular opinion polls here at about 75% uh, popularity now, 100 days in. Needless to say, he was elected with, I think, about 53, 54, 55% of the national vote in the second round. He's now up at 75%. Why? Because they're proving uh, the ability, proving what happens with leadership with executive decision-making, and with a team, with an inter-ministerial team, an inter-agency team uh, that is also partnering with academia, with civil society, with the private sector to move forward to take 
take the sting out of politics and governance here to go back to, quite honestly, uh, some rather technocratic approaches to complex problems. Uh, politics is always going to be president in the United States and elsewhere. But he has, um, he has uh, I think, pleased many people, both at home and abroad, with his um, decidedly non, um, um, non-rancorous approach to politics, non-vengeance, uh, moving forward, not looking to the past. Uh, the past is in the past. His focus is on the future and leaving Ecuador better than, than he, find, he found it when he came into office. So again, with all that, there are still... Um, there, there is an economic and financial crisis here, pre-existed, um, still moving forward. Challenges are now um, front and center on the economics and finances. This morning, I spent an hour plus with the Minister of Economy and Finance before coming to this webinar. And I know we'll be joined with the vice, by the Vice Minister later uh, this morning, who was also in our meetings this morning. One of the, one of the amazing things is, uh, of course, they just announced here yesterday a, a, a working level, staff level agreement with the International Monetary Fund for renewed disbursements this year and next year for Ecuador as Ecuador continues to uh, take many of the necessary, if difficult, steps to relaunch the economy, to turn the economy around. That is in part, in great part, was why President Lasso was elected, to turn the economic situation around. Uh, he's now um, issued more than 180 decrees in the first 100 days, actions being taken to liberalize air transport sector, mining, petroleum sectors, but doing it in a way that enhances transparency. Uh, but some of these most important reforms that, that will still be needed require legislative action. And in the first round of elections here in February, um, many Ecuadorians voted for a legislature that, le- that leans markedly to the left. President Lasso's party technically narrowly has only 12 out of 137 seats in the uh, unicameral legislature, but they've been able to build a governing coalition through um, through partnership with a number of other political parties. The solution, part of the solution moving forward for President Lasso and for Ecuador, frankly, is having the executive branch continue to engage in inclusive talks with all the parties in the opposition, as well as uh, coalition members, so that they can reach basic, basic agreements on needed economic and governance reforms. They've, they've uh, taken a great number of steps uh, already, as I said, but some of the hard part is, is still to come. Uh, there, the president and his team have gotten a series of uh, mega projects, uh, shall we say, mega um, legislative projects that they're looking to push forward in the, um, in the National Assembly. That's more to come, but things are trending well in that area. Let me flag one other issue that I need to mention uh, is migration. Um, on the pro and the con on this, as I mentioned to the Minister of Economy this morning, the United States recognizes, respects, and appreciates the, the historical and current role that Ecuador has um, played in the region as a host for foreign refugees and migrants. Uh, highest per capita number of refugees uh, in the region are in Ecuador. They host probably about a half a million Venezuelans, tens of thousands of Colombians, uh, migrants, and refugees, much of them supported with United States uh, refugee assistance, but also with, with great open doors by not only the governments, past and present, but by the society in Ecuador. Um, but Ecuador at the same time, ironically, is now becoming the, the fourth highest nationality in terms of persons detained at the, um, the United States' own southern border with Mexico. This trend is very alarming. 
it has skyrocketed over the last uh, year, I would say. Um, and so even as Ecuador is generous, uh, well, taking in people from neighboring countries, um, we're seeing this, this outflow of Ecuadorians from certain pockets in the country, uh, certain geographic and demographic pockets in the country uh, that are seeking uh, what they perceive might be better opportunities for the next generation in the United States. The United States remains committed to safe, orderly, and humane migration process, as outlined by President Biden in, in multiple U.S. executive orders. We will continue to work with Ecuador to improve conditions in Ecuador and in the region to address root causes of this uh, migration outflow, and we'll work collaboratively to help mi manage migration. Kudos and thanks to the Ministry of Foreign Affairs of Ecuador, which in fact this week is also hosting its own conference in Ecuador, in Cuenca, to address, uh, to, um, to open up the, the, the national conversation about, about this out migration. Why is it happening? How can the government, how can the private sector, how can international partners uh, work to address again the root issues and work with a, a government of Ecuador to, to uh, reverse this outflow? Um, because President Lasso, he's all about optimism. He's also all about realism, but optimistic, realistic approaches to governance and to solving some of these, these longstanding problems that um, in some ways, frankly, have been you know, swept under the rug. But he and his team are, are committed to publicly and transparently working with us and other partners to figure out what's the real causes of these problems and how do we fix them and how do we move forward. So to conclude, under, President, uh, under the administration of uh, President Biden and Vice President Harris, bilateral U.S. cooperation continues to expand in a whole range of areas here. Security, counter-narcotics, as I suggested, economic commercial development. Yvonne mentioned some of, those, some of those advances. Environmental protection, the Galapagos. Human rights, education, democracy, and governments. I could go on. Anti-corruption. These are all examples of the areas where, in which we are working with the government of Ecuador we're going to continue our COVID-19 assistance. We're going to work on implementing the, the protocols on trade rules and transparency that were signed uh, last year with Yvonne's uh, uh, push. Uh, we just entered in enforcing recent weeks here. We will continue our support for Ecuador and the international financial institutions, as we just saw with this latest announcement uh, by the IMF and by Ecuador. And we will continue to provide technical and other support to combat climate change, and improve Ecuador's investment and business climates here. Um, Yvonne mentioned also the, uh, the counter-narcotics challenges here. Ecuador does not pr produce cocaine, but it has the, um, the unfortunate uh, suerte uh, of life to be uh, geographically located between the two largest producers of cocaine in the world, Peru and Colombia. Um, Ecuador is working uh, dynamically, creatively, and in partnership uh, record cocaine seizures now in the last two years in Ecuador. The numbers are trending up. Even greater cocaine seizures here. That's both good and bad. It just it, it just means that, that there's a lot more work to be done as um, as the economies of the world open up. Um, there's interestingly enough, there's a huge backlog of supply of cocaine uh, in, sitting in Colombia and Peru, uh, trying to feed global markets. And again, it's not just the United States. These are global markets that we're working with them. But to conclude, um, thank you all for the opportunity here. I look forward to the Q&A. Um, and just to underscore that last point, with President Lasso and his team, we in the United States know we have a firm 
creative partner strongly committed to this bilateral relationship and we stand shoulder to shoulder with Ecuador as we move forward. And with that, I turn it back over to Tom with much thanks. Well, thank you very much, Ambassador Fitzpatrick. Uh, remarkable presentation and a wonderful bookend uh, to what Ambassador Baki had presented. Uh, you both have described, uh, as I noted previously, a dynamic relationship, one with its challenges, but with extraordinary opportunities that lie in front of us. And so it's really now for both governments and for both peoples to seize these opportunities and find a way to move the relationship forward in, in a way that benefits both the peoples of Ecuador and the peoples of, of the United States. We have a little under 10 minutes uh, for questions and answers. For those of you in the audience interested, you can use the Q&A function to present a question. Uh, let me start by returning to the issue of COVID uh, and especially the extraordinary results that the Lasso administration has been able to produce through a vaccination program with the help of the United States, among others. Uh, both noted the importance of leadership uh, but also the importance of capability. What's striking to me is uh, Ecuador in a very short period of time, although facing a public health crisis of tremendous proportion has got its arm around it and dealt with it. Uh, and now has levels of vaccination that match that of the European Union. Uh, and this is evidence again, uh, of the ability of the Alaso administration logistically, administratively, through its public health sector uh, to take vaccines and put them in arms. And that in itself is worth highlighting and noting. And I would ask both Ambassador Baki and Ambassador Fitzpatrick to briefly describe how this has worked, why it's been successful, and what it means broadly. Because my experience is the United States is successful when we find partners that are capable of executing. And it's evident that the Lasso administration can do this. So if they can do it in COVID, they can do it in other areas. Yvonne, I turn to you first. Well, thank you, Tom. And uh, thank you, Mike, for all your, your remarks also. And, and I know that you have been doing a great job in Ecuador. And you saw firsthand how President Lasso made this uh, priority uh, the health issue of COVID. When, when he was inaugurated, the first meeting he had was with the delegation of the US. And, um, and he mentioned that the priorities he has, number one is health, to fight this COVID-19 enemy that nobody knows who, what, from where it's coming and how it's getting to everyone in the world and how it changed the world. And really, he mentioned, we want to vaccinate 9 million people in the first 100 days. Nobody would believe that. Nobody believed it. The leadership that he had by getting together the right team, everything is about the team. First of all, we had to get the vaccines. And as Mike mentioned, we got vaccines. Of course, the United States, the donation that we thank very much, the 2 million donation was very helpful, Pfizer. But we also had already had bought a big quantity of vaccines from different places, but they were not arriving. So he concentrated on putting the right team working together with the private public sector, but not only that, with the military, with the uh, CNA, what you call the Consejo de Electoral, because we have to see who, how to, how to put them in their hands and how do we know that they will arrive to the people. So according to electoral in Ecuador, the elections, the voting is obligatory, it's compulsory. So we have the list of the people of the ages. 
So it was worked in such a perfect way. The first thing was to get the vaccines, which was happening, and then how to put them in the hands of people according to the, the, uh, the data that we had and the, the ages that we had. And it was worked together, as I said, private sector, public sector, all the entities, the, the universities helped also to open their doors, to have the people go there and be vaccinated. And it happened. It, is, it, was, it was a unique, a unique uh, way of showing the people that, that really the priority was going to be happening, and it did. So it motivated the people to do more because the problem you have in the United States is that the people that don't want to get vaccinated. There, they were seeing the, the results and how good it was going to help them to get back to work and how it was an example of that where the world was watching that one day we had 450,000 people vaccinated in one day. The minimum we had vaccines in one day was 100,000 from 100,000 to 450,000 per day. So it was, it was something that nobody could believe it was happening. And that's why the world was announcing that. We went in a time that it was uh, number one, not, not only in Europe or compared to Europe, but compared to every place in the world, Ecuador was number one in that. So I think this shows that when you want to do something, you can do it. So that was the priority for the president and he concluded it. So we're very proud about that. Let me just add that it, it was a, a whole, not just whole of government effort by President Lasso and his team. In Ecuador, what we saw was a whole of nation effort. It genuinely was everybody involved on the same message, on the same plan, everyone pulling together. And indeed, it's, it, it is, as, as Yvonne said, it, it was a team effort. Everyone in the country felt part of the team. They knew what the goal was. They knew how to get there. And I will say this. Uh, and it is true that uh, indeed that a number of vaccines had been bought last year, early on by President Moreno. As Yvonne knows, Ecuador was one of the first countries in the world to put hard cash down and say, whenever you can get them for us, AstraZeneca, Pfizer, we'll, we'll use them. And indeed, the challenge was getting the vaccines here. And as soon as they got here and as soon as our vaccines, the Pfizer donations, in addition to what they purchased directly or through COVAX, we were, we were seeing Pfizer vaccines. I, I met them at the airport with, with ministers. By 7 a.m. the next morning, they were putting them in people's arms. And so the biggest challenge moving forward for Ecuador now is not the demand, is not the capability by, by the government and society to put them in the arms. The biggest challenge for the coming months still will be supply because Ecuador has proven that they can outpace the supply of vaccines here. So anywhere, anytime, if anyone's got vaccines that are about to expire, send them to Ecuador and you know they will not be wasted. But it's, it's really been a, a great, uh, great opportunity to see. And you're absolutely right, Tom. It's been leadership. It's been uh, capabilities. And it's having a plan and, and just amazing execution that now they want to be able to uh, uh, spread further across the entire uh, spe spectrum of governance, not just public health. Well, it's an amazing story and one we should certainly take advantage of as we drive the bilateral relationship forward. Uh, we have time for one question uh, more, and this one comes from Eric de Haas, and it is related to trade agreements, but in particular, the impact of Ecuador using the U.S. dollar as legal tender and whether or not that gives Ecuador greater advantage in negotiating trade agreements with the United States. Michael, I turn to you first. 
Absolutely. Uh, it's actually one of the questions, one of the issues we were discussing with uh, the Minister of Economy and Finance this morning. I'll, I'll let their vice minister speak more to that in a later session this morning. But the fact that there is that, that dollarization now for some 20 years, um, you know, in the United States, we have something called the third rail of domestic politics. It's uh, social security. I would say here in Ecuador, the third rail of politics and governance is the U.S. dollar. You want to touch, you want to mess with the U.S. dollar as, as the basis for, for stability in Ecuador, you're going to be taking on 98% of the national population um, because it is, it's that full faith and credit um, that is um, part and parcel to what we think about as Americans, especially private sector looking to invest abroad. Um, having the U.S. dollar here, it actually takes one of the variables out of any investment equation. It, it takes that question mark out, you know, the whole exchange rate issue. It takes it off the table by and large for, for investors. The president has already done a number of, uh, taken a number of steps here to um, enhance the um, viability of the dollar, but also for foreign investment here. Uh, the, there had been a, uh, and still remains a tax, a 5% capital export fee, if you will. But he's already announced and, and put into effect last week a decree removing that from the uh, aviation, civil aviation sector as a first step. Uh, number one is a signal to international investors uh, about uh, the free uh, flow of, uh, of, of capital in and out of Ecuador, but also as a signal to the United States in particular on the, on, uh, the open skies, possibilities of negotiating now, uh, re renegotiating, uh, hopefully concluding rapidly an open skies agreement here. There are six different American airlines uh, flying in and out of Ecuador every day now. Um, we, we expect that number to increase in, in, in coming months, uh, precisely because of this, these sorts of signals that are being sent by President Lasso and his team. That's great. Uh, thank you, Ambassador Fitzpatrick. And before I turn to Richard to close this session, Ambassador Baki, any comments on that? Well, dollarization is the most, most popular thing we have in Ecuador. That's what we said about what Mike mentioned. I don't have to add about that. Dollarization was done when I was here 20 years ago. And it, nobody wanted it. And now everybody in Ecuador wants it. I just want to finish thanking very much um, the, um, the Institute of the Americas, really, for making this incredible two days for Ecuador. Thank you very much, Richard. I appreciate very much that. And we're looking forward to working together. And anything you need, we are here for that. Thank you. Well, we thank you both. And Richard, I turn it to you. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, Ambassador Baki. Uh, thank you, uh, Ambassador Fitzpatrick. We had an excellent uh, kickoff to our two-day forum. I think um, you can see that um, the U.S. and Ecuador have a unique opportunity uh, to seize the moment and to look towards expanded um, trade investment and, and overall to strengthen the bilateral relationship. So we look forward to continued discussions. Um, uh, thank you all for your participation. And um, again, uh, thank you, um, um, Ambassador Shannon, Ambassador Baki, and Ambassador Fitzpatrick for your participation today. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.